Hello and welcome to Tarot Bites. I'm Teresa Reed, the Tarot Lady. I'm the author of the Tarot Coloring Book and the co-author of Tarot for Troubled Times. I'm also your host for this podcast series. This is episode 133 of Tarot Bites, the podcast where I just out short, entertaining, bite-sized lessons on how to read tarot. And for today's episode, our topic is Queering the Tarot. And I have a very special guest, the author of Queering the Tarot, Cassandra Snow. Hello, Cassandra. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here today. I am very excited about your book and talking to people, to my listeners about your book and also about this topic. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to start with my story real quick. You know, many, many years ago, um, when I first began reading tarot, I, you know, of course, had been working with the Rider Waite Smith deck and approaching things from my own perspective, which is my perspective as, as a white, cisgender, you know, heteronormative woman. And I had a gentleman sit down for a reading. And when I laid out the cards, I remember seeing the Queen of Pentacles reversed. And I said to him, well, I see this really high maintenance, you know, bitchy woman in your life. And he stopped me. And he says, no, 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 no. He said, I'm gay. But that totally describes my partner. And, and, you know, it was really, he was really humorous about it, but it was such a massive wake up call for me because, you know, for tarot back, I like to say back in the day, you know, the tarot decks, the main tarot decks were all centered around white, cisgender, heteronormative perspective. Yeah. I mean, it, it really was, was like that. And I've been reading tarot for a long time, you know, so that's the way it was, but everything's changing now. It's like the whole world is opening up and your book is really helpful in that regard. So I think your book is extremely important, you know, not just for LGBTQ community, but also for people from my perspective as well. So we start to open our minds that, Hey, wait a minute. There are other things outside of our worldview. There are other ways of looking at um, at the cards. There's other people that are represented in maybe ways we did not think of. So I want to thank you, first of all, for writing this book. Oh, thank you so much. And one of the things I want to ask you about, you know, in the book you use the acronym LGBTQQIP2SA. Plus. Now, most people are familiar with what LGBTQ means. So before we even start talking about perspectives, can you tell us what that acronym means, my listeners? Yes. I'm going to grab it and look at it real quick, just so I don't miss anything. I'm still, you know, it's a year later, but I'm still working with a touch of brain injury. So... Right on. And it's yeah. a, and you know what? It's a lot. It's a, it's a <laughs> mouthful. I mean, when I first read your book, I saw that. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Now we're this is, this is going to be really hard for me to remember this. So, um, you know, what is it for people who do not understand that acronym? How would you explain that? Yeah. So I would say, first of all, that it's always changing and evolving and growing to include more people who aren't straight, who aren't cisgender, who identify in various ways. And I think that's beautiful. I love that it keeps changing um, and growing. I do think queer has been reclaimed not only as sort of an activist word or almost as a fighting word, but also as um, a way to just sort of encompass everyone who does fall under that umbrella. And in terms of the specific identities represented there, LGBTQ, just in case anyone doesn't know, is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer or questioning. 
And I include the two cues just to sort of address both of those populations. And then a lot of times people like myself who are genderqueer or gender fluid, still in the acronym will shorten it to a Q instead of throwing an additional G in. Um, the I is for intersex. P is pansexual. The two S goes together. It's two spirit, which are people who are native and really had cis and uh, heteronormative ideals thrust upon them during colonization. And then asexual. Um, and then the plus sign is just sort of a, just in case anyone feels like they're part of this community, but doesn't quite identify with any of those specific letters. It's, it's, I really love this because, um, you know, you really are making room for everybody to have a seat at the tarot table. Thank you. And I think that's, again, it's, it's really important. You know, again, if we talk about back in the day when I first began, you know, most of the tarot decks that are around, and even the books, there was no, there were no books like this. Yeah. I mean, so um, for, you know, people who maybe came into tarot or, started reading books or doing this as a profession. Can you tell me what it feels like for an LGBTQ person when they see decks that are just focused on white, cisgender, heteronormative perspectives or books like that? It's really jarring. I think when you're learning tarot and you're just learning with your decks book or the little white book and you're using your imagination, um, I think you are still applying it to your experience, but then when you try to find other representation or other materials and there just isn't any, that's really defeating. It's like anything else where there really isn't that representation. Um, and I think for me, when I started reading for other people, because I'm gender fluid, one of the um, blind spots I had was that it never occurred to me that not everyone identified with all 16 court cards comfortably. It just never occurred to me. Um, and that's sort of how I sort of came into a part of how I sort of came into and realized some of my own identity as well. Um, but it can mean that, you know, if you don't know what you're looking for, if you're not learning in a way that is going to help you adapt and evolve as you adapt and evolve in life, um, you know, there can be a huge disconnect from your cards, from the books you're reading. You can start to feel like it's not for you. And I feel like that's a huge shame because I really feel like tarot can and should be for everybody who needs healing and empowerment and liberation. And that's especially marginalized people. Absolutely. That in need of that. I, I totally agree with that a hundred percent. So how do you feel now? There are so many decks coming out that are inclusive. I mean, we have decks like the, I think it's the New World Tarot. We have um, just so many decks now that are representing people of every color, every orientation. That must feel just amazing to see this. It is absolutely wonderful. You know, I think every so often there's a resurgence of new and creative decks and books being made. And I think for this one to be moving us in the way that it is, is just absolutely wonderful. I'm so tickled. It gets a little hard to keep up with them all. It's like, uh, this is probably the first, you know, I've been reading for a decade and a half and the past few years is probably the first time where I feel like people are putting out inclusive decks quicker than I can grab them. <laughs> Well, one of the things that I've heard from behind the scenes, now I can't really vouch for this because this is not coming from 
me the horse's mouth uh it's coming from other people behind the scenes that said some of the deck creators are now pledging to make sure that decks are more inclusive how do you feel about that i think that's really great um i'll start over (laughs) because there was a weird noise in my neighborhood you might have caught oh that might you know what i have my windows open so if people are listening if you hear like in, in my neighborhood tends to be very loud. So sometimes you're probably going to hear like little sirens going on in the background or jackhammers. It's okay. I'm very much a, an old school punk rocker DIY. You know what? If these noises come in, it's okay. Great. We're just going to keep on talking over those noises, Cassandra. But anyhow, go on. Yeah. No, I think that that pledge is really wonderful. I hope that is something people are sticking to. Um, and I think it's exciting because sometimes if you're not a person of color, if you're not LGBTQ plus yourself, you might make some missteps in your sort of attempt to be inclusive. And I think, but that inclusion is still so, so important. And I think the fact that people know it's important enough that they're willing to be wrong or look wrong or take a chance is really, really great. And I think just that overall idea is really good too. Well, I, you know, you're going to make mistakes regardless when you're reading right. tarot. And I know along the way, you know, like I, with the story I opened up with, of course I made mistakes. Of course I did because, you know, there wasn't the awareness, there wasn't the the training, uh, there wasn't the internet back then. I mean, we're yeah. talking a long time ago because yeah. I'm old. Um, and now, you know, we are open to, the world is not like ours now. It, everything is accessible. And I think people are really being introduced that there are many different types of lifestyles. There are so many different belief systems. There are, you know, people that identify in many different ways. And we're now all becoming aware of that. And so deck creators making these pledges and stuff, I just have to say this, it's about time. It is. I would also say too, my hope though, is that I think the other problem and the other reason you have people that maybe aren't included in that art and that conversation is because we also need to be make we also need to make sure we're making a lot of room for queer deck creators and for POC deck creators because that's who's going to tell those stories best is people that have lived that experience or are living that experience. And so I do think it's twofold. I do think people that are coming in with those privileges do need to make their work speak to more people and be inclusive to more people. But I think the the biggest problem is making sure that we're hiring and using and supporting debt creators that are coming in from the margins. Absolutely. And I also think for, you know, people who um, are readers, we need to make sure also that we are elevating the work of people of color and people from the LGBTQ community. So it really is important for us to be doing that as well. So I'm a big believer in that. So let me ask you this. Um, So before any of these decks came around that are now more diverse, how did you make the other decks work for you? Or what would be your advice? Let's say, let's just say that the person that wants to only read with the right-of-way Smith deck how do they get that to work for an LGBTQ community? What is your advice? What is your experience? Yeah, so I, I learned before a lot of those decks were really uh, being created or were easy to find, and I still learned. Um, I think if people, 
So I think there's two steps to it. I think one is when we think about gender or sexuality, if you pull out all of the cards that to you seem gendered, and then just like really work to think about them a different way or really work to think about how we can, what that might mean um, beyond sort of the gender that might be assigned to the card or something like that. And really just using your critical thinking. And the way I say to do that is regardless of your gender, go through and kind of assign your own experience, your own point in time to kind of every card so that you get that full scope and you can see how it can relate to all of us. I also think, you know, on rare occasion, I think that those uh, gender assignations on the cards are important because you get people who are transgender, who are binary, who are a trans woman or a trans man, or you get someone who is gay or a lesbian. Um, and that is an important part of the discovery process of who you are. I think it certainly was for me, but I think the next step to make sure you're still including everyone is to go through and find some cards that to you represent people who are non-binary um, and find some cards that maybe speak to fluidity um, of both gender and sexual identity. Um, and that's going to be different depending on your deck, depending on, you know, how you interpret the art and the writing about the deck. Um, and then I think the next thing is, you know, we look at the tarot as everything that happens in a deck has happened in our lives, but that looks so much different for people who are LGBTQ plus, you know, having to live in the closet, even for a short time affects you very differently. Um, the obviously the not than just always having been who you are and been able to be open and honest about that. Um, and on top of that, you know, a first queer relationship seems to carry a lot more weight, uh, just because there are less of us. So we put a lot more into it. Um, but then I think there's other things too. There's all of these ideas you see so much in queer writing and in queer community things like queer chosen family, which I think is not a concept that should be exclusive to queer community, but we do tend to think about it as a queer concept. Um, I think everyone should have a concept of chosen family and people that they're very close to outside of their given family. Um, but still that's so ingrained in queer culture. And then, um, you know, in a lot of states, we really might lose our jobs for being who we are. We really might lose our housing. Uh, we really might lose our given family or our close friends. And I think, you know, if you're wanting to queer the tarot and you have these traditional decks, you just have to think about all those events that might happen for a queer person that wouldn't happen maybe to someone else and just kind of find cards that you think speak to that um, and use those kind of as markers. And of course, that's when you're learning. I mean, people who have been, you especially, I'm sure, know that the cards start speaking for themselves after a while <laughs> but when you're learning kind of having that base concepts of like well this one can indicate this and so on is going to be really helpful so you know you mentioned fluidity which could you give me an example of which cards you might pick that might mention fluidity yeah so in some of my decks uh i have the temperance card represents someone who is genderqueer or someone who is bisexual or pansexual uh, but then in other decks, there's so much water kind of like gushing and flowing everywhere that I will, in some decks, it will be about gender or sexual fluidity to me. I think both the Page and Knight of Cups I read as being very fluid. And I think um, 
you know, the Knights in general, they're so action-based, but that's about creating and often accepting changes, things like that. Um, so those are some of the base ones I think about. I'm sure I'm blanking on some too. Um, yeah, but those are some really, really good ones for yeah. people to start thinking about. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Recently, I was doing a reading for um, a woman. And after I did my initial spread, she goes, oh, were you gender neutral for a reason? Because I can, <laughs> I, I know. But I mean, I, you know, over the years, you know, my readings have evolved. And, you know, oftentimes I'm very, very neutral with the court cards. So for the court cards with the queen, I'm, let's say the queen of cups, I might, instead of describing it as, you know, a sensitive woman, I might describe it as, okay, we see a person here in your life who's very empathic, they're compassionate, they're in tune with their feelings, and this person's going to help you in X, Y, Z way. You know, so I have really shifted my own interpretations to really not get specific around the gender unless it feels it's appropriate. So right. I, I tend to be very, very neutral about things. Even when I talk about, you know, um, relationships, I might talk partner. Mm-hmm. instead of saying husband, or I might use spouse. And, you know, so these are things that I think also, if we really pay attention to our language, we can make our language very inclusive and not right off the bat, start Absolutely. off with these old stereotypes. Absolutely. So here's the thing that I want to ask you about. I want to talk about pronouns. Okay. And I want you to, you know, for my audience, explain pronouns and what is your advice around using pronouns with clients? Because I think this is really important. This is something I'm still working on. Yeah. Um, so for anyone who is listening and doesn't know anything, I'll say um, the reason pronouns are such a hot topic right now is primarily for transgender people who are not binary or people like myself who maybe don't identify as trans, but are very gender fluid or gender queer. Um, or non-binary in some way, you know, we don't specifically identify as male or female. And so the male or female, female pronouns feel very misgendering to us. It feels wrong. It's like someone calling you a name that isn't yours. Um, and so the most common one is they, them, but there are, you know, quite a bit more. I think a wall a lot of people run into is um, thinking that you can tell what someone's pronouns are um Mm -hmm. which is and so I always ask before a reading if it's not someone that I know personally and I think that's where people get hung up too it can just be a little bit if you mostly have straight and cisgender clients it can feel a little embarrassing or cumbersome to ask but I think if we're wanting to move forward we just have to get used to it and the normalization of it I will say in the queer community, there's a lot about people not always feeling safe or comfortable with the pronouns that they actually prefer when they're meeting someone for the first time. So usually how I word it at the beginning of a reading is, um, what pronouns do you want me to use for you? Because then they know that that can change at any time. Um, And that, or I'll say, are you comfortable sharing your pronouns? Are you comfortable sharing your partner's pronouns with me? And if they say no, I jump to either they or I'll just say your partner or your spouse or whatever. Um, I think too, something I found that I think a lot of people don't think about in addition to 
that being so, so important for queer clients, for their partners, for their close friends. Um, I think a lot of people in 2019, a lot of times I'll say, like, if someone's having a problem at work, I'll say, oh, what pronouns does your boss use? And they'd be like, I'd rather not tell you because I don't want you to have an idea in your head based on that. And I think that's something. So it makes it really a lot more inclusive for everybody. Right on. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to one of my friends who is a professional tarot reader and she identifies as a lesbian. And she said that she's experienced prejudice from straight clients who've come in, they see her and she says, it's almost like they assume that I'm not going to be able to relate to them because I'm a lesbian. And she said, and then they, you know, often after the reading they're she can see them relaxing during the reading and recognize that, okay, this person can relate to me. So I'd like to talk about that for a moment. Have you ever experienced maybe a straight person sitting down and feeling, you know, like, oh my God, how can this person relate? And also on the other side of the coin, have you ever gotten a reading by a straight person and felt this person isn't even bothering to get to know me? Or maybe you felt I'm not comfortable, but then got comfortable. I really like thinking about this perspective. Yeah, so I definitely have had, you know, at my steady tarot gig, I'm pretty lucky the store is run by two women who are in a relationship together, and most of our patrons and clients know them. So I don't actually get a ton of that. And then anyone who finds me, it's like really clear on my website. Um, It has happened on occasion. Or I've had people almost feel like they have to explain to me how men are. Like I couldn't possibly (laughs) have had men in my life at all. And so they'll be like, well, it's just that he's a man and men are blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, I still have a dad. I still have a brother. I still have. Um, But I I do get it. Um, I would say people have only seemingly been uncomfortable a couple of times. But it has happened. Um, I've definitely gotten readings from people that I wasn't comfortable. I had a palm reading that was otherwise spot on at the time, except she kept saying that, um, it wasn't going to work between me and my boyfriend, me and my boyfriend. And I was in a horribly codependent relationship with a genderqueer person at the time. And at the time I just wanted to throw the whole thing away because I didn't want to admit the relationship was bad and going nowhere. But it was easy to do that and to not hear everything else she said because she made assumptions about gender in the relationship. Um, I And I think, so that happened and that has happened before. I'm usually comfortable though. I mean, I live in Minneapolis, which is a pretty queer city. And so usually I feel like if I assert myself, people kind of quickly adjust what they were gonna say. Um, I know that's not the case everywhere, unfortunately. Um, I think the only people I, you know, I have a hard time feeling comfortable around straight and cisgender men that I'm not related to. Um, but usually after a few minutes, it's almost like the reaction your friends, clients have, like, if it's a good reader and they're clearly compassionate after a few minutes, I'm able to kind of let my guard down. So, you know, what is your advice then? Let's say let's say an LGBTQ person sits down with a reader and the reader right away makes an assumption that, well, we're going to give you a reading that they'd give a straight person. Do you right away correct that? Or I mean, if they just start going off like that or 
or do you just not say anything and see what happens? What do you recommend people do? It depends on how, I mean, it kind of depends on the energy of the person. Um, so it tends to go three ways. One is that occasionally people will get genders wrong, but I'll feel like what they're saying is so spot on and I don't want to slow down the flow of the reading that I will just kind of be like, okay, well, I know who they mean. I'll just process it that way. Not everyone is going to feel safe or comfortable doing that though. And you shouldn't have to, my recommendation would be to correct the person. Um, I think just because my own gender is fluid, I'm so used to flopping pronouns in my head all the time anyway. Um, but, but I think definitely asserting yourself right away is the better option. Um, and that's never gone badly for me. And if it does go badly for you, just don't go back to that reader. I think, you know, there's so many of us now and there's such a beautiful community if you find a reader that really doesn't get it, honestly, the solution is to go to a different reader who's going to be more open. I love that advice. And I think, you know, one of the wonderful things, again, if I want to talk about the internet, because there's so many people who hate the internet and social media, I'm like, but hey, wait a minute, you can find, you can find a tarot reader who looks just like you. You can find yeah. a tarot reader who, you know, comes from the same story the same background who can relate to you or maybe you find someone they're from a different background they're not the same you know color but you know they're compassionate because you can read their work you can you yeah. can see that they're gonna get you and I think what this the internet does for people it creates this beautiful smorgasbord so they no longer just have to stick with the reader in town they can find readers that are really going to get them and I think that's so beautiful yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your wonderful book. Thank you. Yeah. I want to talk about some of the cards in here because, you know, one of the things that you stress in the book is about, you know, really learning how to look at these cards from uh, an LGBTQQIPQSA+. Listen, I got it all there because I got a little note in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a mouthful. Cassandra, I'm going to get this one day. I'm going to get a second, rattle it off. But let's <laughs> say now you're you're advising people to to learn from uh, that to look at the cards from that perspective. So I want to talk about the Hierophant because you started out by saying you're not a fan of the Hierophant at all. Yeah. So, oh, what can <laughs> queer seekers think about when they look at the Hierophant? How can we? How can people look at that from that perspective? A lot of times when people look at the Hierophant and they see, you know, this hat, this, uh, you know, this figure that seems so embedded in church and church history and tradition and philosophy in so many ways, that's what the card is. And immediately they're like taken back to their home churches that might be kind of toxic for them or even, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, there's a lot of people in my community really struggling with religious trauma syndrome or something that heavy. and so. Um, you know, but I think for queering it, um, honestly, I think sometimes you just have to accept that some cards are bad. Like you very may, like the reading very may well be telling you that this person is coming up to opposition like that again in their life and that they need to navigate that in a similar way that they did before. Um, I think even people who don't have that issue with sort of the imagery or the Christianity of it. Uh, you know, queer people just aren't the biggest fan of hierarchy or institutions. And I don't want to speak for every queer person, but it's pretty universal. Um, 
And just because those are the, those are the things that are pushing us to the margins in society that are trying to take away our rights as I speak, as I do this interview, um, is a lot of the things that are embedded in the hierophant. And so I think it is better to accept that that is bad and learn how to advise about it. Um, I have had readings or even people try to convince me like, oh no, it means there is an institution to support you. And like, I do think sometimes that's true, but I think that can show up in other cards and not one that is so sort of blatantly put at, like off-putting as that one. Well, the Hierophant was always one of the hardest cards for me to learn because I had my own experiences with the hypocrisy of my uh, early background with religion. So I yeah. can relate to that. Let's yeah. talk about the devil card. You know, your book is illustrated by Robin Scott, who did the Urban Tarot. Yes. And so those cards are in here. And the devil card, uh, the whole reason why I bought, I also have to laugh, the whole reason why I bought the Urban Tarot is because the devil card looks just like my husband. So, Oh, wow. Uh, they do look really similar. <laughs> they do. So it's the only reason I bought this deck. And so uh, it, the deck always makes me smile because of that. But I love what you said about the devil here so I want to read this passage you said when querying this card our first exploration is going to be on what oppressive forces are at play in a querent's life it's easy to jump to homophobic parents transphobic employers and biphobic partners and of course there is a chance that the devil is indicating those things the major arcana cards frequently want us to delve into and repair our relationship with ourselves so digging deeper that way, there's a good chance with the devil that we're looking at internalized queer phobia. Could you talk about that for a second? Yeah, I think that that is true across the board, no matter how you are marginalized, that there is a fair amount of internalized, you know, whatever phobia. Um, you know, looking back over my own history, I'm also part of the disability community. I also have survived a lot of trauma. And when I was younger, I would say really awful things like, well, I got up and went to class. Why can't they? Which is like so bad. But that's an example of like internalized phobia against people who have been traumatized because I process mine differently. So why can't they? but that's not who I am as a person. Like, and so that's mm -hmm. a societal viewpoint that I internalized and internalized queer phobia kind of works the same way. It's, you know, people who have been out of the closet for years, but still keep their relationships very private, even though they're otherwise not private people. Um, usually that's because there's still an internalized fear or feeling like oh well I don't want to rub it in everyone's face which like go rub it in everyone's face let them deal with it um you know and obviously some people are private in general and that's very different but um so I think that's an example of it and I think even people in the community um you know there's so much stigma against STIs there's so much stigma against you know, people who maybe transition gender differently than other people who transition gender. And I think those are all big examples of internalized queer phobia as well. Right on. And you know, again, this is all stuff that people from, it doesn't matter what background you come from, you need to know that about this because it's yeah. going to help you to be a better reader. You also wrote the Nine of Wands. The Nine of Wands you wrote that you originally wrote about the Nine of Wands after the 2016 American election that devastated so many in our community. Tell me about the Nine of Wands from that perspective, because yeah. I thought that was juicy. Yeah. And smart. Um, 
<laughs> Thank you. Yeah, when I when I think about the wands, I think about social justice and I think about activism and advocacy. You know, it's fire, it's passion, it's fight, it's action, it's all of those things. And so I think that correlates to the wands and I will say as sort of a primer to the nine. Um, most people who are LGBTQ+, as well as most people who are people of color, um, most people who are disabled, end up being activists or advocates in some way, um, whether they want to or not, throughout their life. And I think wands are the cards that really speak to that. And then I think they also speak to the large sections of those communities, myself included, that want to do that work, that want to do that activism and fight that fight. Going into the nine, um, I think, you know, after the election, it was very easy to feel very defeated. Uh, and a lot of us did, and we should, that's a fair thing to feel. I'm in no way shaming anyone for that feeling. I felt that watching those numbers come in was probably one of the worst nights of my life. And I know a lot of people felt the same way. Um, and I ended up just, that's when that article was due, was right after that. And I was thinking about the negative cycles that can be very inherent in the Nine of Wands. And I was thinking about how that is reflected in society. But I was thinking about how in the Nine of Wands, a lot of times there's a chance to break that cycle. And I thought about, well, what happened if after we took a couple days to feel our feelings, we just really got up and collectively decided that this is the last time that we're going to do this and that we're going to let this happen. And I think part of the reason it's been such a um, fiery administration is because we're not giving up and people are still getting up and fighting. And I saw, you know, this terrible abortion bill that just passed. Well, the next day, a different state said that that abortion was a constitutional right and they were going to protect it. And I think you know, it is so much about still getting up and fighting that fight, even when it seems like all is lost. And I think, you know, I don't think everything happens for a reason. I do think sometimes things happen because people are terrible, uh, which I guess is technically a reason, but, <laughs> um, and I don't think there has to be a lesson in everything, but I think from that election, we can take away that it, and everything that's happened since that if we do kind of keep going and keep fighting we'll make progress still and we'll still barrel through right on so another card i want to look at is the five of pentacles and there's two things in the five of pentacles that you um covered one thing you said as you queer the card we need to look at the realities of life for um a queer seeker and while not having a partner is not life-threatening it does lead into that feeling of isolation and certainly makes you feel lost at times and you also mentioned about um the effects of poverty on queerness from the lgbtqqip uh 2sa plus community and how things like you know housing and employment and stability do not come easily to them so can you talk about that both of those perspectives of the five of pentacles from your book yeah um, I think in terms of those bigger sort of like, you know, hierarchy of needs, bottom level, food, shelter, etc. The statistics really do show that queer people, as well as people of color are like very disproportionately affected by things like poverty. I was just reading today, um, in light of some terrible legislation that's coming up, 
um, one in three transgender people is homeless for the bulk of their life. And there was a point where one in four trans women were murdered a year um, or committed suicide. And that's a little better now, not great still. Um, you know, the life expectancy of a trans woman at one point I read was like under 30 because of the high amounts of murder and suicide because of other um, things going on. And I think so few demographics or so few people really understand what living in that space and with that knowledge is like and trying to navigate that and trying to still make a life for yourself. Um, and I think, you know, when we talk about queering, when we talk about queer community, we are talking about people who are LGBTQ plus, but I'm also specifically talking about people who are making community and trying to make change and just a lot of times there in those communities that are really fired up, there just is a poverty discrepancy um, or an income discrepancy between us and the rest of our neighborhood or whatever. Um, so I think those are very real things that the Five of Pentacles is addressing. And I think it very much can be saying, you know, you're not safe right now. So how do we navigate around that? And how do we get you safe? And that's when you'd pull more cards. Um, and then in terms of the loneliness and the isolation. One of the first decks I ever learned, the book to this card primarily talked about feelings of spiritual isolation, feelings of being alone. Um, and I know, you know, I am very picky about romantic partners and I go through long periods, including right now, <laughs> um, where I just like, I feel that five of pentacles so deeply in my soul. And like, it would just be so nice to have a romantic partner that understands what I've been through in terms of gender and sexuality and who just is there and can relate. And I think, you know, not only am I picky, but depending on what statistics were you're looking at, we're either between five or 15% of the population. So uh, the loneliness and the periods of being single are very, very real too. Um, and I do think the five of pentacles addresses that head on. I, yeah, I, I love those interpretations. And I want to finish with one more example for your book that I found really interesting. Um, the Nine and Ten of Cups. And you wrote, the most common question I get asked in tarot classes is, what is the difference between the Nine and Ten of Cups? Can you just address that real quickly? Yeah, I do get asked that a lot. I mean, when you're just looking at your cards, they both just look so happy and joyful. <laughs> like you've just completed, you know, this great cycle with people that you love. Um, and so in the book, I just really wanted to speak to that difference. Um, and I think I'm kind of scanning my book now to see if I said anything specific that, um, you know, I do tend to read nines as being about completion and tens as being a, about transformation. And that's, uh, the guidelines I use in class a lot is the nine is like wonderful news. You get to rest, you get to relax and enjoy. And the 10 is like, maybe it's time to assess how this has changed you and what what all the beautiful things that can mean for your future um, and for your life and for yourself. 
Um, a lot of times these come up in readings for me and my clients, at least as what I call good wishing magic energy. And so it's also a difference of, are you just wanting the happy ending in the nine, or are you also looking to transform or change yourself in the 10 as sort of how to cast that spell work? Um, and so it comes up a lot. And I don't think I said that in my book cause that's a recent development, but um, well, aren't, don't you think we're always learning and evolving the meanings of these Oh, yeah. Words? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think back to my early days with readings where I looked at cards, you know, one way because, well, back then, of course, there was very, there wasn't a lot of literature. You didn't have a lot to go on. And over the years, reading with different people, reading different books, working with different decks, you really start to develop a rich vocabulary. Yeah. And it's always changing. It's always growing based on you know, maybe a reading I get from someone else that opens me up to a new perspective or reading a book like yours, which blows my mind wide open to ways of looking at the cards that I might never have thought of. So it's always evolving. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, basically, as soon as I turned this book in, I was like, uh, there's other stuff I would have said, I should have said, I could have said, um, other stuff I would have, could have included. Um, and I think this is a book that if it does well, I probably will need to sort of make some tweaks and re-release if we do that in several years, just because the conversation in activist community and queer community will have changed even more. But so will I. I'll have grown up a lot. My clients will have grown up a lot. And I'll have had new clients with sort of the new things going on. Um, and so I do think that that evolution is so beautiful it does, as you know, make writing a book a little tricky. It does. But, you know, I, I look back at so many tarot books that, you know, that I've grown with as a reader and worked with over the years. And then I see books like yours coming out. And I mean, it is just always amazing me that there's still so much to say about the tarot. And yeah. we never stop learning. And I think your book is, again, it's about time is what I want to say about this book. Um, so can you just tell people where they can get the book, uh, what they need to know about it, where they can work with you, all of that stuff? Yeah, so you should be able to pick up Queering the Tarot anywhere that you buy books, especially occult stores. Um, there are across the country, fewer and fewer, but there are several LGBTQ plus like stuff stores. So anyone that care, any of those that carry books will be able to get it. Um, and then, of course, your local bookstores and stuff. If they don't have it, you can order it at the front. And that also helps me because that tells the bookstore maybe they should keep it in stock. Um, and But you can also get it online if you're worried about asking, if you're in a community that's not safe and you don't want to out yourself, um, or if it's just easier for you to order online. There's uh, Amazon, IndieBound, Wiser's Bookstore, uh, like online, really anywhere you buy books, you should be able to get it. You can get it right on my website, Cassandra-Snow.com. If you click on the page about the book, then there's all those buttons to all of those bookstores I just named. And then um, in terms of supporting me, there is my website, Cassandra-Snow.com. Um, you can get email readings that way. And then I have a couple like workbooks and e-zines up as well. I also have a Patreon, um, where I talk about querying the tarot stuff, but I also, uh, I send out like tarot tip sheets and do monthly readings and stuff like that for those who are learning. 
Um, and that's just patreon.com slash Cassandra Snell. And then my final plug is on Instagram. Uh, I do a almost daily tarot, hashtag daily tarot, uh, and it's tarot Cassandra. And you can also see stuff about the book there and stuff about my cats and snails. <laughs> um, yeah. One thing I have to say, all, all tarot people, doesn't matter what background you are from, most of us have cat pictures on our Instagram. <laughs> I've noticed that. <laughs> because that's one thing, too. I'm always about those cats. But anyhow, for people who are listening, get to Cassandra's world. Get Queering the Tarot. And also, I'm going to recommend that you do call your bookstores to order it, but you also call your libraries to get it in the libraries oh, yeah. because... I think that this is a book, again, that it's about time. It needed to be out there. We need everybody who's serious about tarot. I don't care what your background is. Everybody needs to be reading this book. I'm a really big fan of this. So thank you so much for writing it, Cassandra. Well, thank you so much for saying all of those wonderful things and for having me today. You're so welcome about the book. It's fabulous. So, um, again, big fan. And people get it. Yeah. And. Cassandra, thank you so much for being here. We have got to call this a wrap. Otherwise, we're going to talk all day. And I, I know, know. You probably you have better things to do. So <laughs> all right, guys, that wraps up this episode of Tarot Bites. And you can check out lots more tarot goodness on my website, thetarolady.com. I've got free tarot and astrology lessons, the tarot coloring book, hundreds of blog posts, astrological forecasts, tons of other things for you to scope out. Enjoy. I want to thank you again for listening. And I hope you have a beautiful day. And hey, if you enjoy this podcast, do me a favor, walk on over to iTunes and take a moment to leave a kind review, because that will help more tarot curious people find their way to tarot bites. And as always, I like to close out by saying, pay close attention to your intuition throughout your day and let it guide you into making brave, excellent choices. Remember that you are always in the driver's seat of your life. You are in charge of your decisions, your plans. The action steps that you take or don't take, you're the boss. And if you don't like where your life is headed right now, you can change that. Nothing is ever fixed in stone. The tarot cards tell a story, but you write the ending.